This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to all the way to work. David Vassay. Episode 19 of the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by Corona Extra. Find the fine life. Please drink responsibly. All right. We are going to take a break from Andre Ethier on this week's podcast because we just did an Instagram Live today that you can check out on the AM570 LA Sports account. So that will be our weekly conversation uh, on the Instagram Live, and you'll find it on their Instagram TV, and I'm sure they'll post it on their TikTok and all that stuff. So in place of Andre Ethier, I thought we would revisit with an old friend and a man that has had such a huge impact on the Dodger organization the last 30 years, and that is former pitching coach Rick Honeycutt, who still works for the organization and is still relied upon as far as looking at videos and visiting minor league pitchers. So I'm excited to talk to Honey about Ryan Pepio in particular and Bobby Miller, and also to get his thoughts on why. Walker Bueller's Cy Young caliber season and where he thinks Clayton Kershaw is the rest of the year. So a lot to talk about with Rick Honeycutt. Batting leadoff, host of the Extra Innings podcast, David Vassay. All right, there are less than 50 games to go in the regular season, and the Dodgers are still struggling to gain ground on the San Francisco Giants. And I really believe the Dodgers have to flip that switch right now. There can't be any more of thinking it's going to happen. We have enough talent to make it happen. The Dodgers do have a lot of talent, but they've got to put it all together. It's one thing to have the talent. It's another thing to put it all together. And it's been difficult to put it all together because of the injuries. It's been an uphill climb for a team that is 20 games above 500. Mookie and Seager have not been in the lineup together virtually all season long. Mookie has been hurt all season long with that bad right hip. And, you know, like I mentioned on Dodger Talk and Sportsnet LA during the Angels series, I talked to Mookie about his right hip and he let me in on a lot of what's going on with his right hip. And without getting into details about it, most players would shut down their seasons if they were dealing with what Mookie is dealing with in his right hip. So hopefully he could play through it. I'm not sure he'll be able to do that every day. There are going to be days that he has to take off, and fingers crossed it doesn't force him to shut down his season because, like I said, um, most players would already have shut down their season with whatever Mookie is dealing with, and I know what he's dealing with, but it's not my place to announce that to the world. Just know that there is no excuse making with him. He is dealing with a lot of pain, and he's finding a way to play through it. 
and I just uh, have the utmost respect for Mookie in a lot of different ways as a person. He's an upstanding guy. He cares about his family and his friends. He cares about his teammates. I, I feel like he is one of those guys that's a little bit of a pleaser because he's such a great guy. And I feel like in this situation, he's trying to please. He's trying to please the organization, trying to please his teammates, and trying to please the fans to continue to play through this bad right hip injury. So uh, there, whenever you see Mookie maybe not moving or taking the extra base as you might expect him to, just remember that he is dealing with a lot of pain in that right hip. So we'll see uh, where it goes from here. Uh, Justin Turner is now dealing with a left groin issue, and we'll see how the Dodgers are able to fill in at third base while Turner is on the shelf. Is it going to be Chris Taylor more, or is it going to be Max Muncie more? So it's been really difficult for the Dodgers to stay healthy, not to mention Clayton Kershaw on the injured list, now not eligible to come back until September 5th with whatever is going on with his left arm. And I continue to be told it's not structurally damaged. And in some ways that's good, and in some ways that's bad. Uh, if there was structural damage, by now they would know what they're dealing with and they could fix it if it needed to be fixed in a surgical way or rehab way. But when there is no definitive answers from the scans, obviously, like he told me, there's a big sigh of relief. But on the other hand, you're wondering, why am I still having pain? Why am I still having soreness? So I know a lot of people believe that Kershaw is going to come back and he's another one of those guys that will do everything in his power to come back. But there is no foregone conclusion that his arm is going to bounce back and say, all right, go for it in September. That's not how the body works. They, uh, the arm is not going to respond because the team needs him. So right now, you're looking at a rotation that's four deep. Bueller, Scherzer, Urias, and at this point in time, it's David Price. And I'm okay with those four, but... You're going down the stretch drive, and you might need a fifth. I'm not sure if the Dodgers are able to maneuver a bullpen game every fifth day or if there's a day off, which as we get closer to the end of the season, you're not going to have. And as we look at the schedule, with the Dodgers being on the East Coast in Philadelphia, the Giants are at home hosting the Diamondbacks and Rockies. So you got to hope the Dodgers take care of business uh, the rest of the way on the East Coast. And you got to hope for some help from the worst road team in baseball in the Rockies. And frankly, just playing out one of the worst teams in baseball in the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, look at what happened on Sunday in Arizona. The Giants were down four to nothing and they came back to beat Arizona in the ninth inning. So the Giants are not going anywhere. Uh, I think that's pretty clear right now. But for the Dodgers, they have to take care of themselves. And I have said this on Dodger Talk. There is a great chance for the Dodgers to still win this division. Um, but as Andre Ethier said last week on this podcast, Joe Torre always used to talk about gaining a game every week. And right now, the Dodgers are teetering on four or five games back, and they got to start gaining ground one game a week with a month plus left to go, not to mention only three more games to play against the Giants. 
But even if the Dodgers don't find a way to win their ninth consecutive NL West, they will be in the wild card game. And (laughs) I'm not sure if you looked at the standings. Again, it's not a foregone conclusion. The Padres will be the second wild card team because the Cincinnati Reds have been playing great baseball since the All-Star break, and they have closed in on San Diego for that second wild card spot. The Reds are only three games back of that second wild card spot, and the Padres have a lot of giants on their schedule between now and the end of the season. And how about this end to the schedule? Dodgers play the Padres and Brewers at Dodger Stadium in the final six games of the season. It is going to be an epic last week of the year for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and hopefully they can uh, find a way. But I, like I was saying, even if the Dodgers don't win the division, there is still a path to the NLCS, especially if the Dodgers play the San Diego Padres. And I know the Padres have had the Dodgers number, but if Fernando Tatis Jr. is hurt or playing at 50% in the outfield, that is a huge blow to the Padres and a big reason why they're starting to slip backwards. So I firmly believe that even if the Dodgers don't win the division, they will find a way to win that wild card game and then play the Giants in a five-game NLDS best of five And talking to Dodger players, they respect the Giants, they know they're good, and they find ways to win, but they believe that they do match up well against their pitching staff and that they could score runs against them. They just have to play mistake-free baseball, and that's something that the Dodgers have struggled to do all season long. They lead Major League Baseball with the most allowed unearned runs, 59 at the time of episode 19 being taped in the second week of August. So if the Dodgers could play mistake-free baseball, they feel pretty good about their chances against that pitching staff in San Francisco. The Padres, on the other hand, have beaten the Dodgers uh, 7 of 10 times, and you Darvish has carved up the Dodgers. So that's probably who the Dodgers would see in a wild card game, and that game would be played at Dodger Stadium if it is the Padres. And we all know you Darvish does not react well to hostile environments and big games. I love you Darvish, but last year there were no fans in the stands, and I feel like that benefited a guy like him. Not so sure with a sellout crowd at Dodger Stadium being as hostile as they showed against the Astros. They definitely would rattle you, Darvish. So that's my prediction. The Dodgers would beat the Padres and then beat the Giants in the NLDS and face the Milwaukee Brewers in the NLCS. And the Brewers are really good with three top-tier starters, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, not to mention Devin Williams and Josh Hader among their best bullpen. So it would be a coin flip in the NLCS. So um, even if the Dodgers don't find a way to win this division, which is looking more like a real possibility with the way the Giants are playing, they still will find their way to the NLCS. Well, this was a great excuse to call one of my favorite people that I've met through the years in baseball, and he is one of the most knowledgeable people you will ever meet when it comes to pitching and baseball, and the Dodgers were fortunate and are still fortunate 
to have him in their organization for over 20 years, teaching the young group of pitchers and also the veteran pitchers the finer points of the biomechanics and how to become a better pitcher and really guide them through uh, their pitching careers because he cares so much about them on and off the field. And he he pitched 21 years in the major leagues and his coaching career is exceeding his playing career in more ways than one, and that is the one and only Rick Honeycutt. Honey, thanks a lot for the time. Always appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dave. It's good to hear your voice. I was watching you on the tube. I was like, there's there's always a smiling face. Dave, you always have a smiling face, which is fun to fun to watch and good to see. Thanks, honey. I was always uh I always tiptoed around you after maybe a tough loss. You know, I always said, you know, hey, maybe I won't bother him today. But, you know, I I always appreciated the time that you gave, even after tough losses, just as much as uh, exhilarating wins. Well, (laughs) you feel the losses for sure, especially the tough losses are are tough. And, um, but, uh, you know, I I'm thankful that that uh, the Dodgers and the organization has allowed me to still be a still be a part. You know, we all were apart last year from the from the COVID, and it's still kind of around. But at least the protocols for the lower levels, I've been able to get out, and it's fun to uh, put the uniform back on and you know be around them and and see these. <clears throat> we still have a a lot of good arms in our organization. It's it's awful. Awfully fun for me to get back onto the field and just uh, be around them and talk with them and and um, so it's it's still it's exciting for me just to to be back around it for sure. Rick, in some ways, this is full circle for you because before you came onto the major league club under Grady Little as the pitching coach. You started out this way when you came back to the organization in 2001, helping out the younger pitchers in the farm system. Yeah, I mean that's exactly where I, where I started, and you know, uh, Tommy and Dave Wallace were instrumental in asking, you know, uh, giving me an opportunity to get back into the game, and um, it was extremely extremely fun for me to um, be able to to do that at that level. And we impacted, you know, a lot of guys, our organization at that time, uh, was, uh, not a good farm system. And it was kind of gotten away from Dodger thoughts and philosophies and things really about, you know, pitching, uh, kind of d- delivery and mechanics. And, and it was fun to get back into it. And during that time, you know, through with, with Dave and, and, uh, <clears throat> Tommy, we were able to bring you know former former pitchers back into our organization, the Kenny Howes and Bobby Welch's, uh, Roger McDowell's, people that had been you know in the system, and um, um, you know we were you know in some good drafts, and we were able by 2004 to be one of the top you know to get the minor league system back, being one in the top two or three in, the, in baseball and. Um, really, kind of when things started to turn around, I think for the Dodgers it was back in about two, you know, the times where the, you know, where you had not only pitchers like like Billingsley and Broxton and 
quote, making it to the big leagues <clears throat> was, you know, the Loney's and Kemp's and Martin and uh, even LaRoche made it up for a while. I mean, it was just, uh, that was just an excellent time in, in, uh, in the system to kind of get things back moving in the right direction. Rick, every time I saw you walk through the halls or whenever you went out there for a pitching mound visit or even in spring training, I thought back to some of the great former Dodger pitchers that turned into instructors when you were pitching for the team, guys like Johnny Padres. Uh, you mentioned Dave Wallace was a great pitching instructor, Sandy Koufax. Do you feel like you have those guys with you now and then as paying it forward for what they taught you and now you're passing that knowledge on? Well, I've, I said all, all the time when I got – you know, back in, and especially got to the big league levels. I mean, I'm just passing on information that I learned really from that large group, from going back to Red Adams and Sandy and Dave and Paranowski and, you know, all the great pitchers that I, when I came over to the system, I mean, it was the, the, the knowledge that they had, not only, but the way that they put it. I, you know, I, before I came to the Dodgers, I, pitched six years in the major leagues and been with <clears throat> three different organizations, one that was drafted and then traded to Seattle and then, then traded to Texas. And <clears throat> had how can you be in the big leagues for six years in three different organizations and hear, hear things, you know, uh, giving you the directions to the understanding of how things work better if you do it, you know, use these small things. And they're not major, but the other organizations weren't, was not teaching that and not even bringing those things up. All they want to talk about, you know, is hand position and arm position and this and that. And, you know, they broke it down to how the ground is your is the only thing that you're touching, and that's what's got to be how you use the ground so that your arm work and body works better. I mean, it, it's simple physics, really. And, you know, all the things that I've tried to do during my time was continue those thoughts on and, and bring it out. And then, of course, the video and all the other metrics came along that you try to use those to also support whatever – you know, thoughts that you may have to help someone get better because if they do those those things and they and they understand it, they're going to get better and and it's going to help. It's going to help them and can help them not only dramatically and even just just grip pressure to finger pressure. Those were things that you know really I'd not not heard in the previous time, you know, that I pitch, you know, it's just like here, you know, take the ball, go out and do what you do and hope that you're, you know, good enough to do it, you know, type deal. And, but here there was such, I mean, really a learning process that happened. And then you continue to do it and you just see so much and it opens your eyes to different things that when you're watching other guys, you go, Oh, that's why, how he can do that. Or this guy can do that. And, it it just was, you know, I was so blessed to, you know, have that opportunity to to be traded to the Dodgers and be around so many uh, unbelievable 
know, uh, minds and, and, you know, we, cause we talked about it all and I, you know, still get a chance to talk of, you know, about when we were together and I mean, you're talking about going back, you know, you know, 50 years or so yeah. of those, that, how the Dodgers at least, you know, talked about things and, and what was, what was emphasized, I should say. It's not that everybody, he's not trying to make everybody, you know, the same. It's just understanding that certain things need to get into certain places so that it can happen. You know, I like, I love to play golf. Well, golf's kind of the same thing. I mean, how can Justin Thomas, that's 150 pounds, hit the ball as far as somebody that's Dustin Johnson that's, you know, 6'3 or 6'4? It's not strength. It's about using your using your body properly and lining things up correctly. Did you did you see it as a player, Rick? Were you maybe your best pitching coach? Because you see it now, and you have just this remarkable ability to see things that other people don't see. How did you gain that? Was that something you got over the years, or was it something that clicked one day? Well, I think up until coming – here, even though I pitched my whole life, and you know it was okay, you know okay, obviously, but I didn't understand how things actually worked. You know, you know what caused and what were you what were you looking for, and then you just started watching the best of the best, and they're going, and you watch nothing but you know a lot of times you don't have to look at anything than than if he's a right hander watching how his right foot and and leg work on the mound, and you just watch how how that leverage of the body is put into position and the time, you know, how it times up so well. And it starts, you know, it really starts there. There's only one thing as a pitcher, you only got one thing touching the ground. If that That's the control. That's the steering wheel. That's the power position. That's the gas pedal. Everything has to come from there. And I know, and I know today's game has changed. These guys are so much stronger and, you know, they're seeing all these velocity numbers and everybody gets caught up in velocity. Well, sure, we want, we want that also, but it's, it comes with command and being able to throw other, the other pitches that, you know, sets that up. That's what's so fun to watch a guy like Scherzer, you know, and, and the best just do what they do and you just watch how they go, go about it, you know, and it's not just them, but the best. You want to see the best because that's what you want to be is one of the best or get the most out of what you have. You know, everybody's not doesn't have the same level of talent, but they can do certain things well, and you try to get them to where they're more consistent. Because that's really the other side of it, you know, is, is the consistency part. you got to be consistent to get to the, get to the top level. And, and that's what, you know, you, you want to get them to accomplish is being able to repeat – their delivery over and over so they can have a higher higher chance of success. Well, then you bring me to Walker Bueller, who seems to have matured this year more than in years past to be more of a pitcher than a guy that just tries to strike out everybody with 97 to 99. What have you noticed about Walker Bueller's season this year compared to the previous seasons? Yeah, it was funny in my conversations with, with we were talking, you know, uh, talking with him the other day. I was telling him, because I've texted Walker about it, 
young first, you know, how proud I was of, of what, you know, Walker's calming down and watching and seeing how to get through. Because they, they, and Kirsch did the same thing. Kirsch was a bull, you know, and the China Hutch, you know, there for a while. They always wanted to go harder, but, you know, the game just, they figured it out. The best ones figure it out, basically, and that's what I think, Walker, being around the, the best and seeing the guys, how they go about it. And he knows for him to be a winning pitcher, five innings is not going to be. And Kirsch did the same thing. If I can get to the seventh and eighth inning, because you're not allowed to, unless you keep your pitch count low, it's tough to go nine innings anymore and keep that pitch count below the number that they allow you to throw even. But that's what <clears throat> they learned. They, they figured out, I've got to learn how to be more efficient with my pitch count so that I can go deeper in the game. And the more deeper in the game that I go allows the, <clears throat> the bullpen to be used more properly and I got a better chance of winning, you know, winning that game. But you know, you're seeing, you're seeing, uh, you know, Walker obviously unbelievable talent, but you're seeing him not using all of his pitches more properly. I, I thought the other day was a perfect example. I mean, he really struggled with his his uh, uh, control in his last game there against the Angels, but you saw him battle through it and still. And that's what the good ones do. They battle through, and at the end of the day, you look up, and he's gone six innings and given up five hits and one run. And, yeah, he had four walks, but he also had eight punch-outs and figured it out and got better all of a sudden those last couple innings where he knew he had that goal of where he wanted to get to, and I'm going to have to do it within this number of pitches to be able to make that happen, and they figure it out. And that's what you're seeing with him is, actually being able to make those adjustments, in-game adjustments, and take them deeper in the game and pitch instead of just trying to, you know, you know, fire it. And he's getting to the point. I mean, that was some of the best breaking balls that I've seen him throw in a long time, especially the slider had depth instead of the sweep. And um, I texted him after one game earlier in the year, and he, where he had a couple guys punched out on change-ups. I'm going, oh, my gosh, you're adding a – you're getting the change up over. I said, you're a monster already, but now you're going to be even more dangerous. So um, he's got so many weapons, and he's so talented. I mean, that's that's what you you just love, and you just want him to harness all of it. And you're, seeing, you're really seeing it this year, just like you said, putting it all together. Rick, I've asked him before whether or not he's embraced being this type of guy, and he said, I'm not sure I'm embracing it, but it's uh, what's best. Well, again, he's – you know, he's intelligent enough to understand these are the parameters and you've got to make those adjustments and accept it. And he's accepting for him to be the best, to help the team, help himself, and help us win is to do those things. You know, he, yeah, he could sit out there and and maybe, you know, try to throw 97 and 98 every throw and have everything max. <clears throat> But he doesn't need to. His stuff's good enough. He adding and subtracting more, and he's going to be he's going to be better, and it's going to be better for him and the team because he's he's now more unpredictable of what he's going to be doing, what he does, and and like I said the other day when he started clicking and getting the feel for for his both his breaking balls, it makes things a lot easier because they can't go up there 
looking at the you know all the things that he can do, and I think that just gets in it gets got in his way early. I thought he was trying to do too many things, and we had to we tried to simplify. It, but now he's he's really getting it to where he can make those adjustments in the game and uh, and take himself you know deeper in the game, and that's that's what we that's what you love to see about him. Rick Honeycutt, since you have been around the minor leagues, there's a lot of buzz about a lot of young Dodger pitchers, but none more than young Ryan Pepio, who's a college pitcher out of Butler. A lot of buzz about Ryan Pepio. I know you saw him in Tulsa. What are your impressions about that young man? Yeah, uh, Pep, the first time I saw him throw, I was just like, I was, you know, very bug-eyed watching him throw because I mean the fastball, the fastball's electric. His changeup is a is a you know plus plus pitch, and he throws his, he doesn't throw a curveball, but he throws his a slider, and that's the you know in my opinion that's the only pitch that he's got to continue to get get better at, and of course I mean always fastball command every night you know but. He's a bulldog on the mound. I mean, he's an attacker and in the mode that you want to see um, that he's not afraid to throw the ball over the plate and let them see what they can do with it. I mean, he was in a stretch the first time I saw him where he was in a stretch. I think he went 17 innings, and I think he only allowed like two or three hits. He had a, uh, so, I mean, he was just in that groove, and then uh, – uh, the last time that I saw him, he was still good. He gave up, I think, uh, two runs in the first inning, but then that was it. And that's the other thing that you you know you like to see in a young man that doesn't get discouraged. I think he gave up a home run in the first inning with, after somebody had gotten on, and um, but he you know was able. And of course, the pitch counts are down, which they sh- I think are, our organization is doing the doing the right thing, keeping those guys down because they didn't didn't get the pitch all of last year in a competitive. I mean, he was able to get to go to the alternate side and get, get some innings, but not. So it's, uh, that part is, is going forward. And he saw him in his first game in in, uh, AAA was still extremely, extremely good, extremely positive. The other night pitching in, in Albuquerque can happen to anybody, you know, um, a couple of pop-ups can end up being home runs there, but this this young man is I see uh, having a super bright future and a bright future with with us at the big league level. All right, honey. Before I let you go, I'll give you an opportunity to respond to Oral Hershiser since you were watching the broadcast the other day, and he said that uh, golf is at the top of your list of priorities. Uh, is he taking some liberties on on the broadcast there, honey? Well, he always likes to give a jab at me. Yeah, I love, I, I do love golf, but not, I don't love golf as much as I love my wife and my family. <laughs> and uh, most of the summer, you know, the weekends were taken by um, going and watching the, all the grandkids. We were running all over the scene. Got four grandkids, and three of them are boys, and they were all playing. And even my granddaughter, she played softball. She was playing different sports too so my wife and i are our, our weekends and even night certain nights we were very busy watching uh watching the grandkids all summer which was what 
that I, that I love to do. And, yeah, I, I get my golf in it when I can, but um, uh, I, don't, I don't put golf number one on my list, even though at times my wife may think that because I, she says I'm never late for a golf game, but I'm late whenever uh, for a dinner date or when we're supposed to go somewhere. She's like, <laughs> you need to get your priorities. <laughs> hey tea times are important dinner will always be there <laughs> well the guy yeah the, the guys are gonna when it's 8 30 tea time the guys aren't gonna wait on you if you're 10 minutes late that's for sure <laughs> oh honey it's great to hear your voice great to hear that laugh uh dodger fans miss you and we miss seeing you every day so hopefully uh you'll make your way to southern california soon so we could see rick honeycutt well, I'd love to get back out there, but I know the things we don't want to uh, jeopardize. I've gotten vaccinated. I've done everything that I have to do so I could go out and, and get to at least be around the game again, and I'm enjoying that, and I would love to see the guys. But at the same time, we don't we don't want to jeopardize. We've got a good thing going. We need the guys to get healthy and get out there and, and do what they do and win, keep winning some ball games for us. Sounds good. And I know the watchful eye of Rick Honeycutt is always there. Thanks a lot for the time, honey. And uh, I'll uh, I'll give Oral a little jab for you when I see him next time. Jab him, jab him with the right hand of the shoulder for me. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Will do. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There he goes, Rick Honeycutt, one of the best, and so much knowledge. We barely scratched the surface, if you can believe that, of everything he knows about pitching and how much he has learned from pitching. And I feel like all of this is part of the Sandy Koufax coaching tree because Sandy not only was a great pitcher, one of the greatest of all time, but understood what he was doing. And when he retired, he came back as a Dodger instructor. In fact, he was a roving instructor for the Dodgers in the 70s and 80s. And Rick Honeycutt learned under him. Johnny Padres, Dave Wallace, Ron Paranoski, all those guys. It goes on and on and on. They all are part of the Sandy Koufax coaching tree. And uh, we'll get Honey on again and talk about that part of it. Because Sandy Koufax is one of those rare people that can do it great and teach it great. A lot of times, the great players don't know how to communicate it and teach it and pass it on, but Sandy Koufax had that ability. So thank you to Rick Honeycutt for coming on Episode 19 of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona, and thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Don't forget, you can check out the Instagram Live with Andre Ethier on the AM570 LA Sports account. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.